All right, so uh, please be seated. So a few months ago, I was talking to Pastor Chris over at the Baptist Church, and he said, you know, I've come to the conclusion that we as a church have got to stop speaking because for so long we've spoken in judgment and anger. And what we need to learn to do is to be present and to actually learn to listen and to attend to the people around us. And so for the past seven months, not eight, seven months, Eva's been taking a course called Clinical Pastoral Education, which is about spiritual direction, spiritual spiritual care. Spiritual care. As, as being as not quite the same as pastoral care. Right. It's, anyway, I, 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 yeah, you're going to talk about that. So we're, and, we, and here I am. I'm going to learn to listen too, Eva. And then, uh, <laughs> but can we pray before you start? Eva's going to share her experience for over the past seven months with us. And I think it's something that we can all learn from. So, Lord God, we do thank you so much for Eva. We thank you for her presence in our church and the way you minister through her. So, Lord, we pray now that you would teach us how we can be present, as Eva has learned how to be more present, too. And, Lord, we ask that in all things uh, we would reflect your glory today. So minister in the way you desire, and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Is that you? Nope. Jennifer. Okay. Mine's in here. Rearranging the furniture up here. I reminded Paul this morning, I, it didn't occur to me till last week, but I reminded Paul this morning that I actually preached on Mother's Day last year. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or not. It's interesting how God works. Anyway, this, is, this isn't one of your more traditional sermons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that everything I do and say here would be to your glory and that people would be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a quote from St. Augustine. What does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of others. That is what love looks like. And I have another quote. This is from a book that my son-in-law, Sean, gave me for my birthday in February. And um, it's written by a medical doctor, and he's talking about his own experience. And he says, I am in a profession that has succeeded because of its ability to fix. If your problem is fixable, we know just what to do. But if it's not, the fact that we have had no adequate answers to this question is troubling and has caused callousness, inhumanity, and extraordinary suffering. This experiment of making mortality a medical experience is failing. I have a great admiration for the medical profession. I have a son-in-law who is a medical doctor and he is one of the smartest men I know. He's the one who gave me that book that I just quoted from. And, uh, and in case you're interested, it's called Being Mortal by Dr. Atul Gawanda. And um, I highly recommend it. It's very readable. And it, it'll, 
really open your eyes to a lot of things, I think. My son-in-law, Sean, has experienced what Dr. Gawanda describes as being technically skilled and able to solve difficult, intricate problems. But nothing is more threatening to who you think you are as a medical professional than a patient with a problem you cannot solve. Doctors are not trained to deal with existential pain. Now, that's a big word, but it just means this, the idea, thinking about existence, right? Thinking about why we're here. What's the meaning of life? Uh, what's my purpose? Doctors aren't trained to deal with that type of pain. They're not even trained or expected to diagnose it. Medical staff have been trained to problem solve and find ways to repair broken bodies. It's, it's what they're good at. In recent years, it has become more obvious to the medical community that there is much more to achieving wellness than stitching wounds and prescribing painkillers. It has also become clear that a patient is much more than one individual. A patient is part of a community, a family, has context, what we call social location. I used to enjoy watching House. Remember House, the TV show with, yeah, with, with Hugh Laurie? It was on from 2004 to 2012. I really enjoyed watching it and watching. One of the things I loved about it was the way in which he, he looked for other reasons for why a person was sick, right? He used to, when, I mean, his specialty was diag diagnosis, right? Diagnosing an illness. When nobody else could solve the problem, somehow, miraculously, he could figure out what was wrong. One of the things that interested me was the radical methods he used to do this. He would send his assistants to people's homes to research their family histories, to find out what made them tick. In other words, he recognized that what threatens good health is not always discovered by scientific observation and sometimes through knowing their habits and their emotional history. This fascinated me, and I never imagined at the time that watching that show would influence so much of what I've been doing over the last seven months. The skills we were learning in, in my course involve some of the very things which Dr. House pushed his diagnosticians to pursue. I was learning to look beneath the surface, watching for the other shoe to drop, stay in the space, and wait as truth slowly revealed itself. I realized how important a person's attitude and emotional state were to their overall well-being. I saw how important it was to name what was life-giving to them and what gave them joy and to affirm their inner strength and wisdom. I also saw the importance of acknowledging what is causing spiritual pain and be the safe place for the other person to journey through it. They do the work, 
The spiritual practitioner is a facilitator. When I see sadness in their eyes, even though their mouth is smiling, or when they repeat a phrase over and over again in a dismissive tone, I know there's more to their story. I had to be prepared to spend the time required and be with them for as long as it took. I also learned that many times a person would start out being polite, saying what they may have thought I expected to hear. But if I stayed in the space long enough and established a relationship of trust, deeper feelings and needs would begin to emerge. Spiritual care is not pastoral care. Spiritual care requires an investment far more demanding than chatting about the weather and discussing hospital food. I had to pay attention, park my own opinions and expectations, and allow the patient to call the shots. I'm not very good at keeping my mouth shut, as some of you will attest to. But I observed, to my surprise sometimes, that those I was interacting with often didn't need a cue from me. I learned that if I named what I saw, the patient actually responded with an almost pleasant surprise, not having expected me to be that observant or to be present with them in that way. I was sitting in the moment having come alongside them and having participated in their feelings. Spiritual care fills the gap medical personnel are not trained to fill. I've also observed that spiritual care practitioners, social workers, and therapists together fill in the middle ground and offer a service that better enables patients to transition from hospital to home or other residential options. Spiritual care practitioners are part of a team. Some highlights of my course. I really enjoyed a presentation on caring for patients with dementia. Now, I had already taken workshops on that in the past because I was a personal support worker for a number of years. But this particular workshop was really helpful. I found the information useful for two reasons. One, because after my experience as a PSW, the presenter affirmed much of what I had experienced and helped me to identify what was going on. I'd seen it, I had observed it, but in her presentation, I began to understand why the behavior was happening the way it was, which will make me more empathetic and will make me better at doing care. Preparing a journal review. Now, this is something I really didn't want to do, and I kind of, oh, do I really have to do that? And I, even at one point, our supervisor said, oh, I may have to postpone, postpone that, because we, we, over Christmas and because of COVID and different things that have been happening, we had had to postpone a few things. And she said, well, maybe we'll, we won't have time for that. And I was thinking, oh, phew. <laughs> but... No, no, but she said, oh, no, you'll still have to do a written version, even if you don't have, the, have to do the presentation. But honestly, it was one of the best things I did. I'm so glad I did it. 
It was a review of an article called Evidence for Grief as the Major Barrier Faced by Alzheimer's Caregivers. It was so helpful to me. I couldn't have imagined myself saying that three months ago. I chose an area of interest to me because of having had so much experience with Alzheimer's and dementia patients and their families over the years. It was so helpful reading that article and, and being able to understand more in a better way, in a more empathetic way, what caregivers go through. I had observed it a lot over the years, but to actually understand in a better way, in a more um, insightful way, why it was happening and why it was such a difficult journey for them, why it is such a difficult journey. Just being able to put a name on an area of distress, for instance, such as, and just one example, disenfranchised grief. Now, grief is something that you're ex a person may be experiencing, but they have no way to explain it to those around them, and those around them often don't acknowledge it or recognize it. So they really feel isolated. You can, you, they can be going through a great deal of, of pain and grief, and nobody around them knows it or acknowledges it, and it's very, very difficult for them. They have no one to talk to, nobody who understands. There's a, and, and a whole lot of other things that, uh, that I learned. Very, I'm, I'm very happy that I did it. I also found a presentation on trauma very helpful. It was especially interesting given that one of the things I noted was that PTSD is not necessarily a one-time memory. I had, I had a patient whose husband was a, a veteran who had had several experiences, very, very traumatic experiences in his career. And so when he suffered from PTSD, it was a variety. It was a combination of different things all happening. And um, so that was very interesting to learn. And I was especially interested to watch a video that was pre presented on how very young children respond to separation anxiety. This was very powerful. And um, it was interesting because shortly after that, we spent a day with Grade and Nicholas. And part of that day, the t at the very end of that day, we had a letter read out loud that had been written by a residential school survivor describing her, her feelings when she was wrenched from her parents at the age of five, separated from her siblings, and all the other horrible, you know, just the, the distress of that alone, let alone all the other things that happened. Very powerful experience. I have known since I was 14 years old that I had a calling to some sort of Christian ministry. Through the years, I've explored this calling in various ways. As time has gone by and as I have matured in my faith, I came to the realization that the simplest truth is the most profound. God is love. I am not in this world by accident. I have a purpose. And part of that is to demonstrate God's love and articulate my conviction that we all have value. We are loved by our Creator. My deep personal faith is Christian, but I have been learning and absorbing from various faith traditions, especially recently. I'm fascinated by native spirituality, which was sparked by my exposure to the ministry of 
Bishop Mark McDonald, who used to be our indigenous archbishop, um, and um, I pray for him because he's, has a, he's going through quite a lot of struggles right now. Um, but he had a lot to teach. He was very wise. And um, I've, been, I've been reading the writings of Richard Wagamese, Thomas King, and other indigenous writers. Two of the highlights of my course were participating in a sweat lodge, which included a smudging ceremony and spending a day in the company of Grade and Nicholas. What a wise and gracious person he is. In my reading of Thomas Merton, Richard Rohr, Diana Butler Bass, and others, I have become aware of the ways in which some other faith traditions complement my Christian faith, rather than contradict or, conf or conflict with it. This has been a bit of a revelation over the last few years, and I'm still on that journey. It has been very liberating. Personally, my spiritual practice is a combination of set prayers, such as the daily offices, and a free-flowing relationship in which I sense the presence of God wherever I am. I also read a lot, which probably doesn't surprise a lot of you. I believe that Jesus is my constant companion, and I trust that the same mind, be, be, excuse me, that the same mind may be in me. That's actually a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> the same mind may be in me that is in Christ Jesus, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, in humility to regard others as better than myself to look not to my own interests, but to the interests of others. And those are all quotes from the second chapter of Philippians. I want to do as Mother Teresa did, treat others as if they were Jesus himself. One thing that comes out loud and clear in the Gospels is that Jesus was a good listener and that he always met people exactly where they were. This is my model. I have cherished the Beatitudes for a number of years, and I, whenever I'm given an opportunity to read them, I just kind of soak them up. I really, really, I've loved the Beatitudes for a long time. I really feel that just speaking them blesses me. They really are blessings. And I consider, or, and I've become, this is something that has evolved in my thinking, but I really have come to to believe that they are the calling of the church. We as Christians are the Beatitudes, or are blessings, and we should be embodying them. I believe that as a spiritual care practitioner, I am called to bless the poor in spirit, bless those who mourn, bless the meek, bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, bless the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. For me, the primary means for providing spiritual support is to come alongside those in spiritual distress and enter into their journey with them, acknowledging their struggle and recognizing them as individuals. I do not believe in templates. Every person and situation is unique. And I must be prepared for wherever 
God is leading without imposing my own worldview, values, or spiritual practices. My job is to invite them to do the work they can't do without me, finding within themselves what they need to move forward. That is CPE in a nutshell. I'm glad I took the course. I believe it will make me a better Christian and a better pastoral visitor. And I said this at the 8.30 service because it felt like it was the right thing to say. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> it feels like the sort of thing people might have questions. Anyway, if you do, if you want to know more about the course, you can talk to me at some time. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of having taken this course. I thank you for all that I learned, and I especially thank you, Lord, that you have been with me on this journey all the way through. And I pray that all of us here as your followers can be aware, can be attentive to those opportunities we are given to walk along with people in their struggles, to be good listeners, to be available when people just need to unburden themselves and need somebody who really acknowledges who they are and that every single one of us is here for a purpose and every single one of us deserves to be in this world in jesus name amen Thank you, Eve.